welcome to the Holy Spirit's Curriculum of Joy podcast. My name is Wanaka Oberhuber, and I'm your host. My guest today is Tyler Foley. Hi. Hey there. So happy to have you here, and we're going to have a great conversation, I'm sure. <laughs> so I'd like. Uh, to- I've been looking forward to it. Me too. So I'm going to ask you a big question that I like to ask my guests when they come on for the first time. Sometimes people come again. That happens. <laughs> so how, how did you come to see the world the way you do today? Well, I very circuitously and ever evolving. I know that I have had many milestones on the journey to my life you know uh, my when i look back to how i have evolved in, in this understanding of the world um i mean my first memories are are at 6 years old um first time i was ever on stage never received a sound of applause and uh and kind of adulation publicly that you know was a, a a very monumentous moment for me and uh, literally almost to the day two months later uh my father passed away which set a very large trajectory to my life as well too so those two very influential moments early on in my life kind of opened me up to a a vast world of possibility um i continued being on stage and performing uh, i was a, a child actor and had this wonderful influence of the arts and my father being a teacher when he passed away um, it became a real quest for me educationally to do very well scholastically and so i had this education in the liberal arts and fine arts and then i had this dedication to sciences and maths and, and core curriculum and i think the two kind of influenced how I look at the world. I look for factual evidence of how the world is formed, but at the same time, I'm very open to spiritual influences and understanding beyond my own logic with the understanding that I can't, in my limited view of the world, know everything and embracing my own ignorance to be exposed to different thought, different ideas, um, has really shaped who I am over my 43 years of existence and continues to shape my, who I was five years ago is drastically different than who I am today. 10 years ago, I wouldn't even recognize myself. 15 years ago uh, is entirely different DNA. Um, You know, and all of those life events, um, meeting my wife, the circumstances around me meeting my wife were so, uniquely bizarre and strange that you can't help but see the divine in how it came to be. Um, the birth of my daughter, uh, you know, even us conceiving was very uh, strange in, in the way that that the events and the circumstances led up to it. So all of those things have really impacted my view of the world and where I where I am today and how I see it. Uh, and, and again, it's a continual evolution as I live my life, more things become apparent, 
um, things that I thought were true appear false or new light comes to them. I see them in a different way. Um, so it's, it's an evolutionary process and I, I can't, I can't pin one part say, Oh, this is how I got here. It's a culmin uh, culmination of, of everything in, in this really wonderful melting pot of who I've become. that's something that you like to talk about a lot how we can actually live who we are and share that with everyone and give space to people to be who they are right give them that space so that they actually learn the trade of being oneself <laughs> if one wants to put it like that and all the rest that goes with that. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things we can do for one another. And so I would like to hear a lot about that. Uh, and as you alluded to, one of the things that I teach in, in my book and in my seminars is that the thing we're afraid to say is very likely what our ideal audience needs to hear. And you never know who can be impacted by your story when, when we share. And, um, you know, they often say never judge a person till you've walked a mile in their shoes. Well, it's very hard to do that in a literal sense. Like, even if I wanted to, I couldn't come from, you know, you might have a different shoe size. We are geographically in different areas. So the the practicality of actually walking a mile in someone else's shoes is obviously difficult. But the metaphorical of that to take time to understand somebody from their viewpoint is critical. And the best way to do that is through the sharing of stories. So if you can share your story with me and explain how you came to see the world from your viewpoint, I may not have to agree with it, but at least I can understand it. And it's that understanding that I think has been lost. And, and there's a, a this huge chasm that has been created with the confusion of words, you know, the opinion is not fact, fact is not necessarily truth. And you can tell the truth without being honest. And you can be honest without telling the truth. Like all of these things are words that are used interchangeably. And I think um, not understood well, as of late. And I think it's important to recognize that there are multiple truths to a situation. There are multiple facts to a situation. There are multiple opinions around situations. And when you can understand that you can still be right and somebody else can still be right. And the two of you may have opposing viewpoints. It doesn't make one of the other wrong. It just means you have opposing viewpoints of and are viewing facts and situations differently and that's where this sharing of story becomes so important because i may not agree with your stance but if you explain to me how you came to come to that opinion based on the shared facts that we both agree to i can start to sympathize with you and it's that sympathy and that empathy 
that allows us to communicate as a society. And it's been, that's how we've communicated for eons. You know, um, we've had an oral tradition long before we had a written tradition. And I think a lot of people take for granted our modern age of communication and the level of literacy that we enjoy in the modern era. You don't have to go very far back in human history to have literacy as uh, a very elite part of society. You know, not everybody could read and write even 200 years ago. You know, you go back three or 400 years ago, it was definitely a very rare opportunity, but we all spoke the language. We all could communicate uh, orally and understand. And I think when we embrace our stories, you know, you think of, uh, I, I like to think back to like medieval England and you had a town crier and, and that was their job. It was their, their entire uh, function was to go and explain the, the happenings of the world. And you would have these traveling minstrels who would then take what the town crier was saying and put it into songs so that people could remember it and, and entertain. It was actually one of the first form of mnemonics and, and, and memes was a, a minstrel going about giving the news of the of the time uh, musically. And telling stories is no different than that. And I think so many times we're afraid to say what's on our heart for fear of public judgment, that we keep it reserved. And in reserving our expression, we make it very hard for people to understand our point of view. And that's when I think we get a lot of these clashes. So I've, I've really made it a mission of mine to empower people to be able to share their stories and explain where they're coming from as kind of a, a, a basis of understanding. And, you know, if, if I can help just one person do that, I think that's, that's that first step to, to a little bit more understanding and empathy within the world. What I think is so, there's a, a quote from A Course in Miracles that's fun. It may sound like it contradicts what he said, but probably in the depths it doesn't. But anyways, you can be either right or happy. You have to choose. I think it's a contradiction. I, I think it's a thousand percent correct the, that we're so focused on being right that we don't embrace the possibility that we could be wrong. And I think happiness comes from the freedom of not having to be right. So no, I agree a thousand percent with the quote. I think it, it, it in fact does support what I'm saying that, um, that this, this binary right or wrong is a falsehood that has crept into the modern day that you that you that it, it's one or the other and in fact that it's really quite shaded um that there's the the real you know there's only one real source of, of truth and i know for a fact it is not me so <laughs> knowing that should free me to the possibility that i may not fully appreciate or understand the universe and how it works and uh, my ignorance is my bliss. 
And in choosing uh, to accept that, that's where you will find happiness in allowing yourself the freedom to not have to be right all the time. I could be very wrong and I am wrong often. Uh, just ask my wife. Well, and it's that self-censorship that is that first judgment, you know, and I, and again, I would ask, who are we to judge? He without sin be the first to cast a stone, right? And like, none of us are. So who, who am I to judge somebody else? And, and more particularly, who am I to judge me? And when we censor our stories, we are, we are passing judgment upon ourselves initially. And that is not for us to do when and then this fear of of reprisal or judgment of others if we share our story is really a falsehood in itself as well because we are assuming somebody else's opinion which is placing a judgment on them and that assumption is then that we are going to be negatively perceived which is not necessarily the case and i can tell you from years and years and years of experience almost 40 years on stage that I have never stood in front of an audience, whether it was to perform a play or to speak my own words as a professional presenter, where I have felt that audience was there thinking, well, I hope this Tyler guy doesn't bring any value to this. I hope he bombs and I hope he sucks. And I really don't think I'm going to enjoy any of the words that he has to say. That is That has never been my experience with an audience and yet so often that is the negative talk that we project onto our audience that they're somehow going to not like us that we don't have any value to add to them that our story doesn't matter um, that they won't like our story that they will think differently of us if we give them their story and i would challenge that what is wrong with somebody perceiving you differently after you've shared i think that's the whole point of sharing the story and why does that perception then have to all of a sudden be negative? I've seen the power of story and the power of testimony. When people free themselves of the burden of what is really heavy on their heart, and they say it out loud, the majority of humanity does not turn on you. They do not all of a sudden, you know, try to cannibalize you for for what has happened to you most people are very empathetic yeah they may not agree with the circumstances they may ask you to look internally to how you got to that situation most people just want to help and you're not the only person to go through that i mean when you open up and when you share you find that you have community there are other people who have experienced these things and the longer we suffer in silence the harder it is to find that community and if you have a hard time finding your community you're going to have a hard time finding support which is just going to force you to live in silence even more and i think it, it there's a a large catharsis that comes with being able to free yourself of that burden and i 
again, I I've made it a mission to be able to help people in sharing those stories in a powerful way so that they can impact change so that they can find their community that, and if they can not only find help for themselves, but then find the power to be able to help other people, which ultimately is really the human spirit, right. To come together and, and to help and to aid and, and, and to be of service and charity to our fellow man. I think, that is the ultimate goal. And one of the best ways to do that is to find your community that you can serve by helping them through your own experience. And the only way that they'll know what your experience is, is by sharing it. Yeah. And one of the other things, which is really fun from A Course in Miracles, that course that we've been saying is that you can only keep what you, you can only give what you have and you can only have what you give. So you have to give it in order to keep it. So if you want to keep your your beautiful thoughts and so on, you need to give them to the world, to everyone. Otherwise, you will be losing the connection to that. And, it's, and it, it is a universal truth, in my opinion. Like I, I have seen the evidence of that time and time again, that uh, the more you try to covet something, the more it's going to try and get away anyway, right? It's that the the tight grip on sand principle the the tighter you grip the more it slips out of your fingers and the more you allow it to to be itself the the more of it you will retain um i've i've long felt that the universe was a sounding board and what you put out to it is is amplified and if what you're putting out is silence that silence is going to become deafening and um you know, I think the fastest way to find abundance is to, as you pointed out, share what you have. You know, even if that's as simple as, you know, breaking bread, right? My table is your table. We're here to to share. And then you can take that metaphorically beyond just uh, sharing a meal with somebody in need. And you don't, I mean, that person in need could be within your own family, right? But you you take that and you share your knowledge and your expertise you know, if you give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day, but teach a man a fish, you'll feed him for life. But I think that there's a further principle to that, that person who now can fish and, and feed themselves can in turn feed you, right? So what happens if your boat develops a hole or you break your rod or your line, and you don't have a bountiful harvest that year, you have passed on the knowledge to somebody else who may be able to then support you. And I think that, you know, it, it's that further extension of that atom that is, is really, really important to consider that the more we empower people, the easier everyone's life becomes, you know, and that, I think that that's a noted universal truth for a, a, a long, long while. That the more you try to covet the power, the the harder it is to maintain, and the the more freely you give of it, uh, and knowledge being power. So the more freely you give of your knowledge, uh, the more likely you are to to receive in abundance. And I think it's a it's an interesting fact, right? Because the more you give, the more you have to give. And the thing is, it's so funny because. You always think, you know, if I covet my knowledge, my my wisdom, everything I know, and all these things, then then I will keep the power. I will be able to proceed better, right? 
and the opposite turns out to be true, even though the world is telling you all the time, covet your stuff, right? Be unique, be the only one, and so on. But you can't be anything else than who you are. So the, the, the thing is, so you can't even covet who you are because who you are is who you are. So it will only become more evident to yourself by sharing it. And, and it won't become less, it will become more obvious. And that's why to remember who we are, we need to share who we are. We need to extend who we are to everyone. And then they also remember who they are, like, like you were saying, you know, they, it turns out actually there's so many people who understand what you went through, what, you under, what your story is about, the struggles you had, uh, even the joys you had. There's so many people who can relate to that. And if you don't share that, they might get lost in thinking they're alone or they might, you know, it's every story reveals another part of it, right? And so there's people, they may have heard stuff from someone else that helped them, but your story has a different nuance. Maybe you spoke about some other aspect that, that wasn't there and suddenly it opens up for them. You do not know unless you allow it to happen, how much power your words or story have for the world and your sharing. And that's why I'm so so proud of all my guests for sharing well, and I think uh, you you alluded to a very um, a critical component of that. We all can find shared commonality in our experiences, but we are the only ones to experience those experiences. And so there's always going to be nuance and subtlety to your experience versus somebody else's experience. And they're not always tragic. You don't always have to, to you know, share the joys, share the successes. Celebrate the successes. I remember uh, working with a, a phenomenal human being who um, runs personal development seminars. And uh, she said, you know, everybody can find something to celebrate in a day, even if it's the worst day that you've ever had. If you remember to put the, the cap back on the toothpaste, and that's the only thing you have to celebrate that day, celebrate that, because at least that's the one thing. And I've, that's always kind of stuck with me that um, so many times we're, we're looking to the negative that we forget to see the positive. And for me, it, it, it's one of those things where I think I've always had a little bit more rosier outlook on life than, than the majority. I, I remember doing an exercise once and uh, they asked us to write down five or 10 significant moments in our life and then rate it whether it was a good thing or a bad thing and i think uh, of the eight that i or ten that i wrote down eight of them were positive and, and two were negative and they yeah, asked everybody to share and i was i was amazed that i was a rarity most people had written down all this bad stuff and i was writing down all this good stuff and what was interesting to me was a lot of the things that people would write down to me, I perceived, I was like, well, that's a good thing because then this happened for you. And I think for me, I was always seeing um, the end consequence as opposed to the initial uh, catalyst. And so I've, I've often struggled with, the, with language around that good and bad, positive, negative. Um, 
because for me, I like to look for the grace and things like when my father passed away, there's no way that I'm going to look for the positive of that. And I'm not going to label it as good or bad. It was an event that happened. It was devastating for me as a child, but it was critical in my development. So as much as I grieve my father's passing and accept it as a very large loss in my life, I don't view it as bad. I don't view it as good. I don't view it as positive. I don't view it as negative. I view it as an event. And life happens for us, not to us. I needed that to occur in my life because without that event, so many of the things that have shaped who I am and where I am and where I have grown and evolved to and, and the things that have happened would not have occurred if my father hadn't passed. So I don't look at it as good or bad, but I definitely see the grace in it. I see divinity in it. I see where there is a plan and we maybe we will never understand what the full plan is. I mean, there's a very large history to the world and it is constantly evolving. The It was there before I was born. It will be there after I pass from this realm. My involvement in this brief existence on life on this plane of existence is infinitesimal in, in the grand scape of humanity. But so for me to try and understand my place in it is, it's so small. It's, you know, it's like a million piece jigsaw puzzle and trying to say, well, this is why I fit in this part of that puzzle. Like it, it, it's um, almost too abstract to comprehend. So I don't try to I don't try to understand what the plan is. What I try to do is look for the grace in it. Why why does that fit? And sometimes it takes months, years, decades for some of those things to unfold and then as I said it's an evolutionary process for me. So I'm still learning, you know, but I do look back and I I I legitimately feel that um you know, if if I could do that magic wand and go back in time and, and change the circumstances and have my father arrive home on the 10th of February, as opposed to being an, an automobile accident, that I I don't know that my daughter would be born. You know, I, I don't know that I would have ever met my wife because I don't know that if my father had survived if i would have ever gotten into the arts and if i'd never gotten into the arts i don't know that i would have acted i don't know that i would have uh, moved away from my home I, I wouldn't have gone to a fine arts high school i i probably wouldn't have moved away at 17 i i likely then wouldn't have relocated to um to toronto i moved to vancouver as, as a, a young performer because that's where you know, it was Hollywood North and I'm Canadian. So that's where we go. We don't go to LA. We go to Vancouver and then Vancouver became boring. So I went to Toronto, which is, you know, Toronto would like to think it's Toronto or is the equivalent to New York. It's really equivalent to Buffalo, but we'll give it its New York equivalent for this story. And, you know, that's the other epicenter of, of, of art and film and television and stage. So it was going to Vancouver where I was able to, 
meet my wife. And even that had such bizarre circumstances because I met my wife due to a faulty bolt in Paris. And, and just even the thought of that is bizarre because a flaw in a manufacturing process in a steel mill somewhere in France led to a failure of a critical component in the Charles de Gaulle airport, which completely and totally shut down operations, which forced a whole bunch of flights to be canceled, which put my wife, who was flying standby, not on the flight that she had initially intended. And in fact, she'd been bumped off of eight flights altogether before me and her were listed on the same flight. And we got bumped off of an, another two flights together for us to constantly hop in gate to gate for me to look to her and say, hey, you know, we're doing this thing together. Let's go grab a coffee. To then have a flight added so that they could get some of the people that had been diverted by train from Paris to Frankfurt from frankfurt back to canada so they have this empty plane that goes and me and my wife spend four and a half hours on an almost empty plane designed for 340 people to just chat and get to know each other and i mean like it's things like that I, I, literally i met my wife because of a faulty bolt tell me there isn't grace and divinity in that and and it, it's and I see those stories all the time, all the time. Mine is uh, unique circumstances, but not unique into what it what it entails. And I see it over and over and over and over and over again that there is chance beyond circumstance, beyond coincidence, that these things evolve the way that they are intended. And fight as we may against it, the world will evolve the way that it's supposed to. And you can either get on board or not. By getting on board, you will find that your life is a lot happier. You know, as you said, you can be right or you can be happy. I would rather be happy. And I would rather accept that as much as I want to influence my life and as much as I do have free will and choice. There's still a path and a design. And my free will of choice is really a choice of whether I walk that path smoothly or try to fight against the current. That's really my choice. Yeah, and one other thing from A Course in Miracles, trust is the main characteristic of a teacher of God, as, as a teacher of course, as a teacher of so. The fun thing is, how can you trust? Because you know the outcome is certain, right? Then you can trust. So that's what you were speaking of. So I think that's so fun to, to, to they say, you know, it says in the manual for teachers, yeah, why they, why do they trust? Because they know the outcome is certain, and therefore trust is easy. <laughs> I've recently heard a, a wonderful quote, and I don't know who to attribute it to, but I think it's a fantastic idea. And and it and it comes down to that trust and faith when you know that something is certain, and you can just be you can know in your heart it to be true, and therefore um, give yourself up to that faith. And it was 
have you ever seen a million dollars in cash? And I went, no. Well, how do you know that exists? Well, I have anecdotal evidence that it does. And although I myself do not have the means and resources to see a million dollars in cash, which by the way, is not that big. I have, I have actually not physically seen, but I've seen pictures of a million dollars in cash. And it's actually not that big. Like it, it's not even a full suitcase. Like it's, it's actually remarkably small, but I do know that a million dollars in cash can exist. That that's a thing. And there are people who have the resources to be able to see that. And it's probably possible to see a hundred million dollars. I bet you it is possible to see a billion dollars in cash. I myself have never seen it. Do I believe that that could exist? Absolutely. I don't need to physically experience it to know that the possibility is true. And I, and that has been um, a really fun reminder for me that I don't have to have quote unquote empirical evidence to have faith or trust or belief wherever I want to, to place that. The downside to that is it's very easy to then put your faith and belief in things that don't have certain outcomes if you don't have critical thought around it. So it's a double-edged sword, but I like to, 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 to feel that we innately know what is and is not true in our heart. I think if you can remove this part from the equation, and focus just on the this part of the equation and we get our head out of it and we get our heart into it i think um, a lot of those truths actually do become self-evident and i think they become very apparent um and i and so i tried i try very hard to acknowledge that the head up here may not necessarily be the best informed expert of, of living my life but my heart knows knows what the truth is yeah another thing that's fun from a course in miracles it says that the world came about because of a thought of separation so the way we see the world now is because of a thought of separation and because we forgot to laugh so so the return to heaven so to speak or to the the actual truth is through through remembering who we are so for remembering to laugh actually and and thinking thoughts and joining the thoughts of joining right rather than the thoughts of separation oh and, and i think that is i think that is evident in even just the way that the world is right now when you have divisive language divisive thoughts um skepticism unbelievable pessimism these are all things that are leading us away from a, a real path of of enjoying our existence you know that the it there doesn't need to be that much conflict and i think um I definitely agree with the absence of laughter because I think laughter is one of the most honest expressions of love. You know, when your heart is light and joyous, laughter, levity come with that. 
And I think, you know, again, I don't have to agree with you to love you. And if anybody is questioning whether or not that is true, uh, ask any parent <laughs> if they love their child unconditionally. And the answer is yes. You ask any parent if they agree with what their child does half the time, three quarters of the time, 90% of the time. The answer is no. You know, I have a seven-year-old daughter who brings me joy, but she also brings me great trial and tribulation because, you know, she wants to be right. I want to be right. Sometimes we both can't be right. I will never stop loving my daughter, but there are times where I don't like her very much. I don't have to agree with everything that she's doing for me to love her unconditionally. And I think the more that we look for love, like how do I love somebody? How do I ex extend my heart to you? And if that becomes the focus, then the triviality of who's right and wrong, understanding that it's very possible that you're both wrong or both right at the same time, then there's no need to label that. Again, it's not a binary thing. It is it, 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 this binary is divisive, and it, it's not. There is no. It's not right or wrong, and if you can free yourself of that, look for the love. Love is universal. Love doesn't have boundaries. Love is not binary. And therefore, if you can, can look for that love and if, if at the very least, where are you finding that external and then that internal source of love? I, I have faith that I, that I am loved outside of, uh, physical relationship with another human being. I don't need, I, you know, if I have that great, that's a validation and that's a, that's a nice thing here, but there, there's an eternal love that is available to me that I can embrace first. And again, back to the principle, if you want to have abundance, you share what you have. If you feel that love, if you share that love, then you will have more of that love universally whether that's the the internal or the external right if i if i share that love of another human being if i brag about how much i love my wife if i brag about how much i love my daughter if i express that to them you know when i one of the things that warms my heart the most you know we are very openly expressive of love in my household and my family i make sure that my daughter knows that she is is safe and loved and supported here. Uh, even when we have a disagreement, if she's in trouble, uh, we don't go to bed angry, right? She may be grounded. She may have to stay in her room, but I'm going to bring her close. Um, uh, you know, principle that I learned from another phenomenal human being, um, that I've worked closely with was, you know, you bring the hurt closer. When she said that to me, it took me a bit to really fully understand and appreciate what she said. But you you bring the hurt closer so much. So many times you try to isolate. You're you're angry. You're hurting. Go this way, right? And when you know I'm having a whether it's a disagreement with my wife or or my daughter, 
we don't we don't end angry right i don't have to agree with you but i need you to know that i still love you and you know that there's always a, a hug or an expression i i love you and that's returned you know i'll be having a, a bad day just bad won't have expressed it won't have said anything and there's an energy that goes with that and both my daughter and my wife will pick up on it and one of the things uh, long before my daughter came into the picture one of the things that my wife and i would do at the end as soon as we got home from our work day before we'd do anything before we'd say anything about how the day went or whatever whether it was a good day or a bad day we'd hug and that hug would last for a minute two three we would just collapse into each other and support each other and know that we were there for each other and then when we had my daughter she observed this behavior she understood that that was how it is so if i'm having a bad day unprompted my seven-year-old daughter will come she will just uh, they're around the neck hugs right the big ones that are like this i just need an around the neck hug daddy and she just she just throws herself into me and so and she'll ask do you need an around the neck hug daddy yeah yeah i do and then she'll just do that and the thing is it's really hard to continue having a bad day when your seven-year-old daughter comes and gives you an around the neck hug and says i just just thought you needed that you know like they, then, then all of the problems that you were having that day melt away maybe not forever they still may need to be addressed but they disappear for that moment and they become so much easier to tackle and it's that sharing of love it's that abundance mentality that there there is so much to give and that these problems that we're facing that are making us feel bad are are very temporary in nature even more so when you look at it on the grand scale of humanity this is a this is a blink this is nothing compared to the grand scope and if you think of it that way then it's become so much easier to tackle the the difficulties and allow you to live in the moment and really that's that's the key is embracing those moments focusing on on what are you doing right now instead of projecting both the future and the past because the past is the past and the future is unknown presence a gift focus on your gift Again, that that becomes that conflict from from head and heart. And I know that there are many, again, in this binary decision making that we find ourselves in currently, where there is this conflict between uh, theology and and science. And I. I know it to be true. Again, it's one of those things where I just, if I just trust it, I know it to be true. There is going to be a time 
where the two come together and we discover that the the reality is, is we were looking at the same problem from two different viewpoints and both of them were coming to the same conclusion using different language and one of the reasons why i feel that to be true is this beautiful study that's being done called heart math where you have a scientific study of the human condition in a really really amazing and unique way studying the connection between the mind and the heart and you know from a scientific perspective the human body is basically a big battery right? we have electrical currents running through us that's how theoretically we function i always want to ask the question well what jump started the battery like where did that energy come from initially because i know where i think my answer is but if you think of it just on that basis that we're this this battery then we conduct a current and any kind of current has an electromagnetic field and that electromagnetic field has had many 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 names over the course of human history whether people want to call it the aura they want to call it the spirit they just want to call it electromagnetic energy but the heart math has studied this electromagnetic field and it's very much like any observable physical property uh, particularly when it comes to electromagnetic resonance, there is harmony that comes with that. So they have done studies of when uh, there is resonance within one person, how that affects resonance in a group of people. And one of the fastest ways to find resonance within the human body, uh, they they do like the sinusoidal wave and they'll measure the EKG and you know electrocardiogram of the heart and then the the electrogram of the mind, again, electrical pulses, right? It's an electrical pulse that fires your heart and makes it does this. There's electrical pulses that fire your brain and make you think your thoughts, either the conscious or the subconscious. And what they found is that if your brain and your heart are out of alignment, in that your brain is thinking one thing and your heart is going, that's not true, there is a disconnect in those sinusoidal waves, they, they it's very chaotic. There's no aligned pattern. But if you find connection between your mind and your heart, where your brain goes, what my heart knows to be true, I believe. The two sinusoidal waves sync up. And they're almost in perfect sync. They, they, they'll follow the same ebb and flow, the same uh, trough and spike, you know, and it just goes choo -choo 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 -choo, and everything aligns up. What they found is that when you, when you are in that state, the electromagnetic field around your body, your spirit, your aura expands. And goes from, you know, a couple of inches to as much as a foot, some in some cases, even more two, three feet out. Well, if I'm standing in a group of people. My electromagnetic resonance, the same way any make uh, magnet would interfere with another magnet, because that's again, if you have a pulse flowing through you, that's basically what you are. You're a big magnet. Like magnets, there is an attraction. 
and you start to interfere with and affect other fields, other auras, other spirits. And so when your heart and mind are in alignment and you then be find this peaceful resonance within you, it starts to affect other people. And anybody who's been in a large congregation of people, whether that's a church or at um, an event, sporting event, a seminar, where everybody is in the moment outside of their thoughts and are now concentrating on just being and feeling and their heart and their mind are aligned and they get excited there is an elect right they they the electricity in the air that's a real thing and i like i said i think that to me if if, if ever there was evidence of uh a divine influence in what we're doing and this this convergence uh, of the theological and the scientific i think the heart math is starting to to find that where we have this connection within humanity and as you had said that when we, we we share that and we come together with it that's that's when you have this this real connection that's where you have real impact that's where you have real change when we when we get in line and and you know again people don't have to have gone to church to experience this you ask any sporting fan Regardless of what the sport is that they cheer for, it could be cricket, could be rugby, could be soccer, could be football, could be hockey. In my case, it's hockey. When somebody scores a goal or a touchdown or makes a basket, whatever it is, when your team does the thing that you wanted them to do and everybody goes, yeah! particularly if it's at right at the end of the game and then your team now has just won, yeah! and everybody is of the moment and there's that just burst of energy, or you're sitting in your congregation and you hear a truth that resonates through the whole mass that's with you and you know it to be true you feel it you go yes yes you know it doesn't matter where you're experiencing that it it is a universal truth that we we understand when our heart hears truth it's our mind that tends to get in the way. And if we can free ourselves of this part, we can open up our hearts. And that's that's you know, that's where I feel that we are we are on a collision course. I don't know if I will see it in my time on this earthly plane, but I know that at some point that will be revealed to me. That I will know that I was right. If I if, if ever there was a thing for me to be right about, I hope it's this. But in the meanwhile, if I'm not right, I'm at least gonna be happy. want to say something henry then go ahead yeah uh, my my picture has to disappear so because i my microphone's a little off but what what you just got done saying mr canada <laughs> i happen to come from toronto anyway my body comes from nearby toronto so i kind of understand what you mean with the hockey stuff and all that um, part of what's happened in my mind um, is that I've been considering trying to actually join those two. I'm not a theologian, but I've, I've done a lot of thinking about uh, 
well, theology, and yeah, let's just keep it at that. And I, I've had a vision. I, I know it's going to sound weird, like now I've got to explain what a vision is, but I've had a vision exactly about what you said, and and um, that the theology and the science comes together, and it is already happening. I could tell you that. Okay, I'm um, looking at different stuff. Not alone, not not just as Henry, but with other people, and it looks like it's going to be <laughs> a little faster than uh, you're. You're like 20 years younger than I am, and I, I think it's going to be happening in still the uh, 90 years that I might have altogether. Over. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Henry. Yeah, I think this is a very important thing to think about because science and and spirituality and other things, there's so many languages. We have plural languages even within one language. Even within ling English, we have mathematical languages. We have all these different, we have groups of people who speak in, with a certain different accent or different words or use a different expression to say things. I think uh, I think that's one of the beautiful things, not only A Course in Miracles says it, I'm sure there's others who also say it, the message is more important than the form. The message is what's important, not the form. So actually, if we can learn to speak, uh, extend love in scientific language, in spiritual language, in any other language, maybe building language and you know, building houses language, doesn't matter, right? The importance is the message, not the form. And I think that's so beautiful because that is possible. Because if you're coming from your heart, it doesn't matter which one of these many languages, even if it's beyond the idea of having different languages in English, there's other languages too. The message is what's important. So if I can say the same message in German and in English and in French and in Italian and in science language and in spiritual language, in Christian language and in in um, Buddhistic language or whatever expression is possible for me, that is the beauty of it. And I think that's what we need to come to is to realize that love is really is real because that's where we get hung up on thinking love isn't real. And so then we think we are not real, right? And in A Course in Miracles, it goes beyond that. It says that we are all infinitely valuable. Well, and it's funny because when you were saying, you know, um, uh, the message is what's important, all I could think of was uh, another great, Torontonian Henry uh, uh, Marshall McLuhan, who was uh, a media professor professor uh, here in Canada, and his big thing was the medium is the message, and uh, ultimately what he meant by that is the is how you experience what you're seeing, hearing, feeling is is ultimately the most important part. How it's delivered, whether the through television, radio in person, uh, what language is, is used, whether it's scientific nomenclature, English, French, Spanish, Swahili, doesn't matter, that 
ultimately how you experience that message is what matters. The the medium is what uh, is the message, and I think that's you know important. And, and you know, in this in this language, one of the first times I ever really kind of became aware of this multiple viewpoint um, was in learning a secondary language. You know, growing up in Canada, we are theoretically a bilingual country, but I grew up in rural Alberta. I mean, I am Texas North. We I I speak two. It, uh, languages natively English and bad English and that's that's about it and so as I started to want to learn French um, mostly because I wasn't exposed to it early on in childhood and then when I moved east um, I lived in both Toronto and Montreal and living in Montreal it's a French-speaking city in a French-speaking province I wanted to learn French and just words that i would use because they were the words that i had learned would oftentimes be um technically correct but the message i was trying to convey was perceived incorrectly because i was using uh what i thought was the right interpretation and was the wrong interpretation and then i read the book contact before the movie ever came out with Jodie Foster that Carl Sagan wrote. And one of the things that I loved about that was it was, uh, in my opinion, uh, a very theological text written in a science fiction nomenclature. And this idea that science can prove divinity you know, I think one of the things that Carl Sagan explored in that was um, uh, these simp simple mathematical principles that science can agree on that have no explanation. We agree this thing exists. We don't know why it exists. And the exploration of, well, can that not be proof of God? Can let's can we explore that and especially because the main um antagonist in the book comes from a religious background and then the um main support to the protagonist also comes from a religious background and says why does it have to be in conflict why do we have to have this this conflict and you know then there's a further exploration of what is religion what is the quote unquote right religion and all the rest of that but what i found fascinating was this idea that hidden in the everyday and the mundane um in a helix or a fractal spiral that there there is this proof of the beginnings of the universe that man can't fully explain. And maybe we're not meant to right now, but it's this, this coming together of various viewpoints that are trying to communicate and understand our world and have, you know, a little bit here is right. And a little bit here is right. And it's, as you alluded to, you can be right, or you can be happy. Do I need to be right? Do I need to actually understand it? Or can I give myself up to the faith to know that it is happening the way that it's supposed to? 
and I, and it was, it was just a fascinating, um, read for me to go through and say, it doesn't have to be in conflict. You know, you don't have to be one or the other. It is not binary. And I think that's the thing that has really, um, been a theme for me, as you'd said, how do I get to here? What is the, how did I evolve to where I am now? I think it's this fight against the binary, the A or B decision, zeros and ones. We are not a set of zeros and ones. We are beings existing on this plane and experiencing the world. And when you open it up to it, particularly love, especially love, and you can, you can actually just experience these things uh, without having to label it, I think is where you start to free yourself. Again, you can be right or you can be happy. I, 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 I embrace my blissful ignorance, to be frankly honest. I, I don't feel the need to, to have to know all the time. And in fact, one of the things that I find the, get the great most pleasure out of is being proven wrong. <laughs> challenge my ideas, have me see a different point of view. Um, allow me to experience something beyond what I have placed in my box here. And let me come to discover a new truth, a new reality, a new idea, a new concept. Um, I think that, you know, that ultimately is uh, how we have a happy and successful life is to experience this unbelievably abundant world that has been placed in front of us to its fullest. And I think, too, one of the things is, again, there is a barrier there, a language. And even the, the language that we use, I think, I think um, even, again, to reference medieval times, uh, first of all, medieval times, so somehow they were evil, um, the dark ages, until we found this period of enlightenment. And what I find amazing is a lot of what was discovered during the enlightenment was previous knowledge that we had that we just did 
not focused on for three, four, 500 years. It wasn't new. It was a reawakening. Uh, so I, there, the language that we use to describe things. And again, I, I just think back to my time in Montreal and Quebec. Sometimes we physically don't have the words to describe what we feel. And sometimes we need to describe the feeling without the encumbrance of the words. And, and again, that comes down to that sharing your story effectively. You know, the words that I choose, although impactful and important, are less important than how I feel when I say them, how you feel when you receive them. You know, am I happy to be saying these things? Am I sad or angry to say these things? How, what is the delivery? You know, that communication part, the words are 10, 15%. It's all the nonverbal that goes with it down to intonation. I can say the words wrong in French, but given by gesticulations and intonality, people can figure out what it is that I want. Right. And then can correct me or laugh at me for uh, a, a misuse of, of a word or, or incorrect structure. And and again, that comes down to that not only finding the grace in life, but giving grace to yourself to make mistakes, to be wrong. It's OK. And then further extending that grace to other people. At first, it starts with the self. It's OK for me to be wrong. It's OK for me to make mistakes. It's okay for others to be wrong and to make mistakes. And, you know, if somebody says a sentence wrong to you because they are just learning your language, whatever language it is that you're speaking, um, at least they're learning. And could you effectively communicate back to them in their native tongue, whatever that happens to be? And if the answer is no, then we need to extend some grace to, to who's speaking to us. And it could be, it doesn't have to be a foreign language either, right? It could be languages within our, so we could both be speaking English with two different viewpoints and two different um, vocabularies and structures of, of the words that we use, even company to company. Like I, as a, a profession, I am a safety consultant. And what one company calls a job task analysis or a JTA is another company's field level hazard assessment, FLHA. And if you had one person turn to the other and say, did you do the JTA? They would look stunned at them and be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And like, you know, where you go and you check the hazard before you do the work. Oh, you mean an FLHA? What's an FLHA? What you just said. Right, you could be you could be using English and still speaking completely foreign words to somebody else because the context is missing, and it's by adding in that context by providing grace for understanding that knowing that just because I use a word doesn't necessarily mean that I'm using that word correctly or that you understand what that word is or that that word is commonplace for you even though it's commonplace for me. Having this grace and this understanding in our communication and truly embracing what communication is, you know, and, and for foregoing two-way communication, three-way communication, is what I'm saying to you understood? So that's two-way. I transmit it, you receive it. Now, 
are you able to then translate it and communicate it back to me so that I know that you understand? Confirmation of the reception in the positive and or negative so that we can either agree or correct. And it's that seeking of three-way communication and understanding that I think is a critical component that we need to uh, really start moving towards as a society. Because that's where you it takes that understanding. That's where you need to have some of these more heart-centric uh, discussions and communications. That's where we start to discover some of these miracles. Because a lot of times, one person will dismiss a miracle, not because the miracle didn't happen, but because the person can't understand it. And because there's no comprehension of it, it is either false or magic. You know, I see miracles every day in what happens in the world little graces. And I think it's the acknowledgement of the little graces that lead up to the proof of the larger grace within the universe. Yeah, I like that. And of course, in miracles, it says it's not the, the miracle per se that you think is a miracle that, that has happened, but it's the love. Love is the miracle. And from that come, come about all kinds of things come about from love. But they can be called miracles by some people, they might be called grace, or they might be many other words. But I think the I think that's a beautiful spot that love is what's what's at the center of it. And the form can be all kinds of forms that come about from that. And I think proof in that concept comes from the grace that is found in tragedy. Right? Again, trying to label something good or bad is very um, counterproductive, in my opinion. But finding the grace, you know, you look at, you know, some horrific events in history. And even ones within your own personal history, you know, I, the passing of my father. My family rallied around my mom. And then beyond that, you know, initially the family came together for two, three weeks. But then a community came to my mother's aid long after my father passed. You know, I, I had various members of the community take me to hockey games and sporting events and out fishing and you know road trips and camping trips and all kinds of things it well into my teens and my father passed away at six like we're talking at, at least a decade worth if not more of a community rallying around me and supporting me after my father's passing and you know one of the greatest father figures in my life very likely wouldn't have been there if my father hadn't passed in in dr robert Corbett and Bob was and is a uh, very influential uh, part of my life. And I had uh, a medical incident when I was 17 that paralyzed the left side of my body for almost a year. And it was really Bob and his wife, Joanne, that that saved me um, both physically and mentally you know, they were instrumental in my rehabilitation physically but they were really paramount in my 
mental health and staying well within my own thoughts. And, and for that, I am, I am forever grateful. But again, I don't know that I would have had that kind of investment and support if Bob hadn't really taken on a figure of a, a, a fatherly role within my life. If my, if my father hadn't passed away, you know, would I have had some of those multiple influences? Cause it's not just you know, Bob, who came into my life as a father figure, I was raised by at least a half a dozen incredibly um, strong, caring, giving men in my life who all played a part in my development and, and who I am today, where I don't know that I, I would have had that. So again, there's, there's, there's these little graces and, and it comes down to that love, you know, the event itself was tragic, losing my father, but there was so much outpouring of love for my mother that, you know, I don't know that it made up for it, but it definitely was compensation, you know, where there was a loss of, of a, a single source of love for her, but all of a sudden you have a community, thousands of people, thousands of people came to support my mom. And even at its core group, there was at least 20 to 25 solid core people that continued to love and support me, my sister, my mother, uh, ongoing, you know, to this day. And we're now almost four decades removed from my father's passing. So I think you are correct in that it's ultimately these are when we receive these tests when we receive these trials uh, particularly things that want to shake our faith and our understanding in the world the question that is falsely asked often is why why did this happen and i think the answer is love so the real question to ask is so then where is the love this happened to expose me to love where is the love is that an outpouring of a community is that an outpouring of an individual an outpouring of the world. I mean, I look at you know, the events that happened on September 11th. A very large portion of the globe stopped and had an outpouring of love, frankly, for a country that maybe wasn't receiving it prior, you know, September 10th. They, they weren't getting the same amount of love and outpouring. You know, there, that's an event that a lot of people can sit back to. I know exactly where I was. I know I know exactly what I was doing, where I was when I first heard the news on the radio. And and then further the feelings that were associated with that. Like, I know exactly where it was. And I know the impact that it had. And I think that's shared. I mean, I, I love one of my favorite stories is, uh, you know, it's been made into a movie and a book and a play from away where you had all of these planes that were, in the air that could not land in the United States and got grounded in uh, Newfoundland <laughs> and this outpouring of community. Uh, and it couldn't have happened to a better place because Newfoundland is, you want to see pure unadulterated love for humanity. You go visit Newfoundland and uh, Newfoundlanders have some of the greatest love and joy for, for humans that I've ever experienced that that is unbridled hospitality. If you ever get a chance to go to the Island uh, but I, I think of that, right? You have all of these, you know, dozens of planes, 
thousands of people who are stranded and have no way of getting back, who are welcomed into a community in a time of great trial and tribulation for the world, and yet they felt love. And I think it's that when we look for that outpouring of love that we find the grace, we find those answers. And, and I think that, you know, reframing some of the questions, again, language with communication. What are we asking the right question? Why did it happen to me is not the right question. Where is the love in this scenario? Where is the grace getting closer to the right one? I still don't know that that's right, because again, I'd rather be happy than right. Conversations about grief on the podcast as well, we delved into that, and I think it's really important to think about that. What happens when you see that if I also have lost loved ones, and these have been very impactful in my life, and my my shift in the way I see the world was is something that has affected me to this day. Like, yeah, it's it's very important to see. Wow. I don't know if that shift would have ever taken place if I hadn't had that experience. But you, but we don't know. It doesn't matter, right, from what it is. The shift happened, and that's what's important. And I think and I can be thankful for the shifts that have been helpful for my own good and for the good of everyone. And I don't think I would be having this podcast today without the shifts that have happened. So, yeah, it's really, really beautiful. Yeah, we're coming to the close of time. What we come up with to finish our conversation for today. Well, I if I could give one thought, it is just. Uh, how grateful I am to have had the opportunity to come and have this conversation with you, particularly as somebody who believes so strongly in uh, communication and conversing and, and the want to share, you know, experiences that, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a great thing as you had mentioned, you know, there's some, some divinity in you being able to have this podcast. And I think there is some, definite influence in, in my ability to participate in it. So I, I thank you gentlemen for reaching out and having me on the show and indulging me and in my, my opinions and thoughts. I, I do appreciate the opportunity to have a platform to share. Yeah, thank you for coming on and, and enjoying this conversation because that's really important to me because I want my conversations to be enjoyable. love to go deep and that's what I think and I love to have this multitude of, of paths and sharing because it's so important and I think for me one of the uh, um, other aspects of what, it, what we can do as human beings is this open-mindedness like you were speaking a lot about how to be open-minded and I think that then that's very important to me so I'm really really happy to have guests well and again it's this um ability to embrace the possibility that you may be wrong 
Um, and I, I, I can't help but think of my daughter, you know, at three, four, five years old, she didn't fully understand her, know her world and her way of learning was to ask why anybody who's ever had a small child knows it is the, the pursuit of why is relentless with a three-year-old, you know, why, 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 why? And it was a fun exploration for me because it, in having to explain the world to my daughter, as she saw it and experienced it, challenged me to look at my own beliefs and how I saw and experienced the world. And she was, I mean, bless her. She is just never satisfied when it comes to curiosity. She is constantly probing and questioning. And I had forgotten uh, for a time how important that is to continually question the world and more specifically question my view of it. And so I, I would strongly encourage people to embrace your own ignorance and acknowledge it and acknowledge your own biases because we all have them. They are all uh, inherent in what we do. We all have some bias somewhere. And when we can truly do an examination of that is when you have great exploration and understanding. Like I said, I, I don't know that I will ever understand my place in the world. Um, and I don't know that it's my job to do it. But as I explore my own ignorance within it, um, I find great truths are revealed to me. And I think that is that is the ultimate expression of the human experience to evolve to a higher understanding of ourselves and our place in the world through constant exploration of our own biases and misunderstandings. And, and I, I just love the quote. I'm going to be using it for the rest of the day. You know, I'd rather be happy than right. And right now, I'm pretty happy. everyone with that and I'd like to thank everyone for joining here please spread the word subscribe and make it possible and if you are willing to share your story this is a good place to come because I'm always happy to have wonderful people on here to so thank you so much and yeah I will end the recording now thank you so so much Thank you.